0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Maylari. So I know I've been all over the place early with my schedule and figuring out when I'm going to have my regular time slot. It will be Tuesdays, 7 to 8, for the rest of the semester. So here's my second, I believe, Tuesday of the semester doing it. I know we just started last week. I think I did it last Tuesday with my friend Dylan. So here we are, second Tuesday of the semester for the Primetime Sports Podcast. As always, I'll be talking everything sports over the next hour. I'm going to start off. Talking some football, I'm going to have Paul from Southie come on to recap what he saw this weekend in the NFL Divisional Games. Obviously, the Giants had a tough loss, so we'll recap that game, and then give some predictions for the conference championships, which are this Sunday, 3 o'clock, is the 49ers versus the Eagles at Philadelphia, and then the Bengals will be traveling to Kansas City to play the Chiefs at 6.30 on Sunday. So we'll recap both of those, uh, or all four of the games from this past weekend in the Divisional round, and then preview both of those games, the Niners-Eagles and the Bengals-Chiefs, and then give some predictions along the way. And then I'll also talk about, after he's off air, I'm going to talk about some baseball and give you guys an update on what's going on in the baseball world. I haven't really done an update on baseball much this offseason, so there's a lot to talk about. I'm going to talk about Devis and his extension. The Red Sox just dfa designated Matt Barnes for assignment today, so he's another lost piece in that Red Sox team that won the World Series in 2018, but I mean, he really wasn't that much of a factor over the last few seasons, but there's just another guy from that team that's gone off the team for the Red Sox. And then I'll also give some news across the MLB, some other team signing guys, and give you guys some previews into what's been going on across the MLB in free agency. So we'll start off with Paul from South. Give me one second to get him on, and then I'll get baseball going in the second half. So I apologize there for the wait. I got to turn my computer off and on in order for it to reset. Trying to get the FaceTime to work so I could talk to Paul from Salty here on the phone, but or on my computer while I'm recording on my phone. So I apologize for the wait. In the meantime, I'll talk some football and then we'll have him come on and talk some more football. But this past weekend, tough game for the Giants. I think we saw in that game was a difference in talent level between the Eagles and the Giants. Well the Giants had a lot rolling for them, and I thought the Giants, in their momentum, was going to play more of a factor in that game, especially considering the Giants got their first playoff win since that 2012 Super Bowl run, the 2011 season, 2012 playoff run that they had to beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl that year. I thought the Giants were going to have momentum going into that game against Philly, considering in Week 18 against Philly, the Giants were really only played only backups in that game since it was a meaningless game for the Giants. They're going to be the sixth seed in the NFC. Anyways, I thought the Giants, considering they played very well in that game with second- and third-string guys, that they're going to be in the game against the Eagles with their starters. You'd have to think. All in all, the Giants are going to be a better team with all their starters playing. At the end of the day, it's not really how it worked out. The Giants obviously had a tough game in Philly, but considering the difference in talent level and the Eagles are a Super Bowl team right now, the Giants are still probably a year away or two. The Giants just making it to the divisional round is just such an accomplishment. The last time the Giants even won a playoff game, as I said, was the 2011 season when they won the Super Bowl in 2012. So it's been a ways to go, obviously, for the Giants over the last 10 years. Since they won the Super Bowl, only one playoff went to show for it, and it was this season. Considering there weren't really many expectations for the Giants going into this year, I know not many people had them winning nine games like I did. I had the Giants going nine 9-8. They had up going 9-7-1 in the regular season. Finish the year 10-8-1, considering they were 1-1 one one in the playoffs. But if you look at the Giants' season overall, there's a lot of positives. And there's a lot going into next season's momentum that they can carry and figure out and obviously bring uh, into the future with them. And there's a lot of question marks for the Giants. If you look at what they have this year for free agents, Daniel Jones, their quarterback, he's a free agent. Saquon Barkley, he's a free agent. Julian Love, their starting safety is a free agent. Leonard Williams is a $32 million cap hit next year. A defensive lineman of the Giants, it's really good. Didn't have really that great of a season this year, though. He only had two and a half sacks, I believe. But Dexter Lawrence really took up a lot of those sacks in the interior of the defensive line. But the Giants have a lot of question marks going into next year. Kenny he go out? Is he going to be cut? Is Leonard Williams going to take a pay cut? Is Stormy Shepard going to come back for another veteran minimum? What are the Giants going to do at receiver since the Giants receiving core was really only Richie James, Darius Slate, and Isaiah Hodgins from week eight and on after, after Wondell Robinson went down with the torn ACL. So the Giants have a lot of question marks to figure out going into this season, and hopefully they get those figured out. I mean, they have the 25th overall draft pick going into this draft. That could be a receiver. That could end up being a cornerback. Could be an offensive lineman. I think they have a lot of issues, obviously, they have to figure out, and we'll see what they end up choosing to do and what avenue Joe Shane, the Giants gym, chooses to go on. But give me one to have Paul from Southie on here in a second, and then I'll get back on. And here we are, back with Paul from Southie, another appearance on the podcast, the radio show. You've been on both multiple times now. Paul, how are you doing tonight? Good, Joe. How
1: are you doing tonight?
0: Doing well, thank you. Happy to have you on here. I appreciate it. Going to have you come on and talk some football, obviously, this past weekend was the division round in the NFL. Tough game for the Giants. You look at the score, 38-7. The Giants, hey, it was 10 in second half scoring. The Giants, at least in the second half, held their own, but uh, they've done 28-0 going into halftime, which was obviously a tough feat uh, for obviously them to try to recover from, but what did you see in that Giants game? I think I I broke it down already for the most part of what I saw. I saw just a difference in talent, and I don't think it's really a problem considering the Giants had no expectations going into this season, really. So to get to the point where they got was such an accomplishment, and I'm not going to really fault them for that, and the difference in talent between the Eagles and the Giants. But what did you see in that game?
1: Well, I mean, I look at the season first, Joe, and it certainly was a huge first step for Daybol and Shane. Uh, they they outdid everyone's expectation. I mean to win a playoff game on the road the way they did was a huge leap. Um, as far as the game last Saturday night, Philly certainly looks like they might have the most balance of any team in the NFL. I didn't see many weaknesses in their game. Um, the few times I saw them all year and, and on Saturday. I mean, the Giants had had trouble moving the ball and they had trouble to get into the hurts. The, you know Philly's offensive line is real good. They got weapons. Their defense puts a lot of pressure on you. Even their kicking game is good. So, um, kind of expect, I mean, I was rooting for the Giants, of course, but I, I, it was certainly like a, a mismatch as far as talent goes. I agree with you.
0: Definitely. Uh, it wasn't Jalen Hurts that really killed the Giants. I mean, he did have three touchdowns, 154 passing, two touchdowns passing with 9 for 34 on the ground with a touchdown. It was only really the Eagles' run game that killed the Giants overall. I think that was the difference in the game was Eagles' running attack. And the Giants just really didn't have an answer at all. And the Giants' defensive line was what helped them get to this point, right? I mean, the Giants' defensive line and the defense are Dexon Lawrence, Leonard Williams, Kayvon Thibodeau, got the Giants to this point on defense. Obviously, the Giants on offense had a lot of you know uh, positives as well, but the Giants' defense kept them in a lot of games even when the offense didn't show up. And at the end of the day, that Giants' team on Sunday, well, on Saturday it was, Saturday night, got killed on the ground, gave 268 rushing yards, and only had 118 for the Giants on offense. So we got out ran 150 on the ground between the Giants and the Eagles. And obviously you look at even in passing as well. I mean, they beat us 154 to 135 in passing. But the difference, I think, was the Eagles' run game dominated, obviously 268 yards on the ground. And then their pass rush dominated too. Daniel Jones got sacked five times in that game. You know, so that's a big difference. And Jones was also blitzed 10 times. The Giants blitzed Hurts 11. Daniel Jones was pressured on 29.4% of dropbacks. So,
1: I think you hit it right in the head. It was, it was, it was the line play on both sides of the ball. Right there. I mean, Hertz was too comfortable all game, and they ran for 268 yards. I mean, you're not going to win any games giving up that kind of yardage. You're not getting enough pressure on Jalen Hurts. And right, Daniel Jones was running for his life most of the game. So, uh, I mean, it, it was a bad tone right from the beginning. It looked like we were going to have a struggle. You know,
0: definitely. I would agree with you there. Obviously, there's a lot of positives though in the season. Obviously, we already talked about this season being a positive on its own. But the Giants didn't really have expectations going into this game, so just being in the divisional round is an accomplishment on its own. And considering the Giants are still a team that's rebuilding, and while winning, I think it's a successful season. You would say so as well, correct?
1: Absolutely, and they got cap space. I mean, to to build on that. But I mean, I think everybody uh, now believes in Daniel Jones. I mean, he cut down on his turnovers a great deal. He he's looked upon by the team as a leader. He delivered in the clutch. I mean, nine wins. They destroyed uh, their win total in Vegas before the season. I think
0: it was six and a half or half. A five, six and a half, right? Yeah, they got nine. And, and
1: Dexter Lawrence played well. Saquon Barkley could be uh, comeback player of the year. He became such a weapon, especially early in the season before he might have got tired. So um, definitely a lot of positives. And we were looking forward to, um, you know, the offseason and getting, you know, a good draft pick and maybe one or two free agents.
0: Just to address the offseason really quick, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, both of them are free agents. The Giants have some other free agents as well, some big pieces, excuse me, including Julian Love, Isaiah Hodgins, he can be tended to come back, but he's still technically a free agent. The Giants have some decisions to make, especially on Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley. What do you think they do with both of those guys?
1: I think Jones is a lock to come back. I mean, I, I don't know who else is out there that you would rather have a quarterback, you know, with the age and contract. I mean, yeah, he's going to probably get a big payday for his sake. But I don't I don't know if there's anyone who's going to replace him. Barkley, on the other hand, is a concern. I, I'm afraid the Giants aren't going to pay him what he thinks he's worth. And he might end up walking. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I want Saquon to come back. He seems to fit in well, especially with Daniel Jones. Um, they have a good camaraderie. Um, you know, Giants first in everybody's mind there. So um, again, I hope he comes back. Um, I just hope the Giants value him like anybody else in the league would.
0: So about Daniel Jones, and I made this point with you already on the podcast over winter break. We were talking about Daniel Jones, what we'd pay him. Right now, in the NFL there's fourteen quarterbacks. Making twenty nine point five million dollars or more in average annual salary, right? There's thirteen making thirty million or more, and Tannehill's making twenty nine point five. So I consider that technically thirty million, right? You're right on the edge there. So let's say thirty million for fourteen quarterbacks. Of, fourteen quarterbacks over twenty nine point five million dollars, and I'm gonna name them for you really quick. Rogers getting fifty million per year. Russell Wilson forty nine. Kyler Murray forty six. Deshaun Watson forty six. Patrick Mahomes forty five. Josh Allen 43. Derek ha, forty three. Derek Carr forty point four. Matt Stafford forty. Dak Prescott forty. Kirk Cousins, 35. Jared Goff, 33.5. Cousin Wentz, 32. Matt Ryan, 30. And Ryan Tando, $29.5 million. So that's 14 quarterbacks right there making $29.5 million. And the franchise take going into the season looks like it's going to be around $33 million the Giants want to franchise take Daniel Jones. What I think Daniel Jones is worth, I would give him three years, $35 million per year. Three years, $105 million total, with around $72 million guaranteed. Might sound like a lot of money, but there's 14 quarterbacks making over that price tag, over $29.5 million, you think Daniel Jones is worth that, correct? If all those guys, there's 14 guys, that's half the league, is making over that. Just out to half the league is making over $29.5 million. Every
1: quarterback you mention, I would take Daniel Jones over.
0: Besides Josh Allen and Mahomes, right? Probably. I I think Josh Allen. I mean, maybe I'm a Giants fan. Barrow hasn't been paid yet. He's going to get paid this offseason, I said, Justin Herbert and him, but you're right.
1: I mean, yeah, most people that follow the game will probably say Justin Herbert's better, but I don't know. I don't care about the numbers. I've seen Justin Herbert. I don't think they've
0: won anything in San Diego. from um, Los Angeles, yep. San Diego before yeah, you I right down. But
1: who, who else is better than Daniel Jones? Out I of mean?
0: those guys I named, Josh Allen, I still... I take Daniel Jones over Josh Allen. I said this last week uh, on my podcast. I like Daniel Jones more than I like Josh Allen. Might sound crazy. I'm fine with saying that. Josh Allen might have better numbers. Josh Allen... Got to the same round as Daniel Jones this year with a much better team and couldn't get past the Bengals. The Bengals are a very good team, don't get me wrong. But this is three straight years of the Bills, especially this year being overhyped. Like I told you, week 12, I just didn't believe in them. I thought they were overhyped from the get-go. I think Josh Allen is is overhyped heavily. I think he's a good quarterback. He's probably still a top five to six quarterback, but I do not see him as Patrick Mahomes. I don't see him as Joe Burrow. I don't see him as t- Trevor Lawrence. I would take Trevor Lawrence over him.
1: Yeah, I would take Trevor Lawrence um Even over Daniel Jones, but I think Jones, you know, if you look at statistics, wasn't his quarterback rating just getting better and better each week down the stretch?
0: Yeah, he did. He got better every week. He finished seventh in QBR. Actually finished this season in a single game, had the highest passer rating for quarterback in a single game, and the highest quarterback rating. Two different games, one against the Texans, one against the Bengals, with the highest quarterback rating for a single game for quarterback in the NFL this year, and then also passer rating as well in a single game. So Daniel Jones had a very good season. I know people are going to say, how is he worth $30 million a year? I mentioned it to multiple people last week. I said, Daniel Jones is going to get $30 to $35 million a year. Everyone called me crazy. Then I pulled out the spreadsheet of what every quarterback's making, and I said, all right, out of those 14 quarterbacks, who is Daniel Jones not better than? Who is he not better than? I guess Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen, I would take Daniel Jones. So really, out of those guys I named, I guess Patrick Mahomes the only one, I would take Daniel Jones over Rodgers. I would take Daniel Jones over Russell Wilson. I'd take him over Kyla Murray. Tim Lopes has point out Deshaun Watson. You take Daniel Jones of Deshaun Watson too.
1: Absolutely.
0: Tim's right. I mean, it's just nuts. Deshaun Watson making forty six million dollars a year. I don't think he's really worth that, especially considering with all the legal situations you know that was around him. And he's also getting two hundred thirty million dollars guaranteed out of the two thirty in the contract. Everything's guaranteed.
1: Yeah, I mean, all season Daniel Jones was throwing to wide receivers that most people haven't even heard of. I mean, we we did because we're Giants fans, but. Um, you know, at the start of the season, yeah, he had some weapons with uh, Kenny Galladay, but he fizzled out. Yeah. Peppett, our number one, I mean, a number two pick, Wondell Robinson. They
0: Ken there is to tony do-
1: So um, he, he was working with no-names who really stepped up and delivered, but it's not like he was playing behind, uh, you know, the greatest cast and offensive, you know, the greatest show on turf.
0: Yeah, you're right. He didn't really have that much around him, and I think... Point being, what a lot of analysts said was no one did more in the NFL with less than Daniel Jones. Daniel yes. Jones did more than anyone with yes. less. Yes, I agree. And he still got at the division round with Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen, the same story as every year. The Bills are overhyped. This year was way, way out of proportion. I didn't think the Bills were that good. I, don't, I never saw them being better than the Chiefs. Even the Bengals, I saw them. Even with, I had the Bengals beating them last week in my bracket. Even, the, even though I was questionable about it because I was questioning it because Jonah Williams was out. Alex Kappa was out. Lyle Collins was out. I was questioning whether the Bengals could have done it. But in my original bracket I did when I was home on my podcast, I had the Bengals beating the Bills because I believe in Joe Burrow more than I believe in Josh Allen. And you do too.
1: Oh, there's, there's no question. I was very impressed with the Bengals last week. I mean, I thought the Bills' defense was suspect, you know, towards the l- late in the season. And Cincinnati proved it. I mean, they took the opening kick in that climate. You know, it was snowing. Buffalo was very emotional, and, and I think the emotion might have worked against Buffalo. I agree with you. Cincinnati really dominated the game from start to finish, and Buffalo was never in it.
0: Yeah, no, they struggled. They were down 14-0 in the first quarter, and then you look at overall lose the game 27-10. But the problem with the Bills, it wasn't even turnovers, right? Because they didn't even turn the ball over really much. I mean, Josh Allen did a pick, but it wasn't the turnovers that Josh Allen had last week in the playoffs. Josh Allen struggled against the Dolphins, right? He had the two interceptions, and then three fumbles with one of them being lost with three turnovers overall. He struggled with turnovers last week. You would think if he cut down turnovers, they win this game, right? But he didn't. I mean, the pro- the productivity wasn't there. He only had eight carries of 26 yards and a touchdown through for 25 completions out of 42 attempts, a 265 passing with a pick. The problems with the Bills, it, it, it wasn't the turnovers, right? They just couldn't score in that Bills defense and, they, and the Bengals defense and couldn't get anything rolling. And the talent level, I still think the Bengals defense just plays – over their talent. I still think the Bills probably have better defense overall, especially defensive line. But the Bills just don't play that well in the playoffs. And the Bengals just a build for the playoffs, it seems like. Every time the playoffs rolls around for the Bengals, they play strong. You would agree with?
1: Absolutely. They made believers out of me. And I I, I think the pressure of uh, being the preseason number one pick to win the Super Bowl probably hurt Buffalo at times during the year, especially late in the year and especially – last weekend. Um, I think that pressure was too much for them to live up to the hype. And again, I think we both pointed out that their defense just what uh, you know top notch the way it has to be, you know, late in the season in the playoffs right now.
0: I would agree. And one thing about the game I think the biggest storyline is Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, that was obviously the biggest uh, story going into the game everyone's talking about. But Joe Burrow. I mean one oh one point nine passer rating uh, quarterback rating was only sacked one time with that offensive line. So the offensive line was a big issue going into that game. He was only sacked one time in that game. One time and had two touchdowns, uh, no turnovers at all, which was a great game, 242 passing with six carries, 31 yards. Burrow, that's just something about him. That's why I call him Joe Cool, right? He's just so calm, cool, and collected in the biggest moments. I think that's why if I'm drafting a team right now, it goes Mahomes, Burrow, Lawrence.
1: I agree with you. Yeah, I, I agree.
0: I think Joe Burrow is the second best quarterback in the league, and I don't even see, I think Mahomes is still the best, but I don't even see that big of a difference between the two of them. I don't. I think I think the talent, Mahomes obviously probably is the greatest talent in the league, right? I mean, he's been doing it now for years, but I think if I was, if you were drafting a team right now, I mean, Mahomes would probably still be most teams' picks, but you never know if someone would, would go with Burrow. I wouldn't disagree with it, right? I wouldn't fault a team for going with Burrow.
1: No, I think the only advantage Mahomes has over Burrow is that he scrambles more, and he, you know, he can extend plays by, you know, just like Daniel Jones with his legs. I don't think Burrow scrambles much. Um, I mean, he, he has some decent, you know, pocket technique. But I think the only advantage is, again, is Mahomes can definitely run uh, deeper than uh,
0: Burrow. I would agree with you. And that's the thing. I think if you look at it, I think most teams would still probably draft Mahomes, right? But I saw a storyline today, a headline, if Joe Burrow beats Patrick Mahomes this weekend... Could you say he's better than Patrick uh, Mahomes? I don't know if you can go that far. I still think I would take Patrick Mahomes, I said, if I'm building for the future. But there's something about Joe Burrow, though, where he's just so good in in the biggest situations. He just never fails, really. Even in the Super Bowl, they were leading with under a minute and a half to go. They ended up losing the game obviously to the Rams last year. But there's something about Burrow, though, and you would agree, right? He just has that it factor and that chip on his shoulder. He's always producing in the biggest moments.
1: Absolutely. He's, he has that moxie. I mean, he seems to deliver in the clutch. I mean, I think I pointed it out on one of your shows before that Cincinnati, two years before they went to the Super Bowl, they had two wins total. Then they took a huge leap in the next year, and then the year after that, they're in the Super Bowl. And you got to give Burrow and the coach, uh, is it Taylor?
0: Yep, Zach Taylor, Bengals yeah, coach.
1: I think they got a very well-balanced team. And I think their defense might be better than Kansas City's, which um, should should keep them in the game. I think it's going to be a real close game. I I haven't decided. I mean, it's hard to make a prediction in that game with um, Mahomes' high ankle sprain. Yep, he has a high
0: ankle sprain. He suffered in the game last week, yep.
1: I mean, I I don't want to bet against them, and and I think the country's starting to bet a lot of money on Cincinnati based on Mahomes' injury, but um, I'm not there yet.
0: Mahomes actually still, you know, Played through the injury, and even though it wasn't his best game, he only threw for 195 yards. Did have two touchdowns passing as well. Had a 112.5 passer rate, uh, quarterback rating in that game. That's the thing with, with Mahomes, though, is even hurt, he could still make some passes, but he's not the quarterback he is. He's limited, right? He can't move up in the pocket. He's really just mobile. He's not mobile. He's immobile, stands in the pocket, really can't move. And he also throws kind of sliding that foot, right, like gently. He didn't really step into a throw like a pitcher would or most quarterbacks So He couldn't really step and throw a plant on it. Because with that high ankle sprain, it's really painful. So they said it looks like he'll play, but obviously he won't be 100% in that game. But who would you like in that game if you had to make a pick? Obviously, you said it's a tough pick right now. But let's say Mahomes plays and he's 90%. I mean, it's hard to know if he will be 90% or not. Would you roll with the Bengals or would you roll with the Bills? I think – or the Chiefs, excuse me, the Chiefs or the Bengals. I think I'd probably roll with the Bengals right now just because of the momentum they have. And I did have the Chiefs winning this game. I had the Chiefs actually winning the Super Bowl in my bracket. But there's something about the Bengals right now. They're just on a roll. And Tim Loftus is right. Credit to him. He was the one saying about the Bengals a couple of weeks ago. He thought they could do it. He, he, was, he was a big fan of them, especially over the Bills. So we'll see what happens. But who would you take in that game right now? Bengals, Chiefs, at Chiefs.
1: It's a real tough call, but uh, put me on the spot like this, I, I think Cincinnati's got a, a better balanced team. Uh, but for some reason, I, I'm hoping Mahomes... Finds that edge that he needs. You know, um, I know he might not scramble as well with, with the high ankle sprain. But um, the crowd's going to be nuts in Kansas City. I know Cincinnati can play in the cold. But I, I almost think Cincinnati could have, like, the Buffalo Bills effect. Everybody thinks they're going to win now. Because um, I see a lot of money switching hands in, in Vegas there with the point spread. So I'm going to pick Kansas City.
0: Okay. I think it's going to be a really close game. The reason I'm rolling with Cincinnati in this game is... They're obviously healthy, and then they also have, besides their offensive line, everyone's healthy, right? They're not missing, if Patrick Mahomes were to be hurt, they're not missing, obviously, their stock quarterback in Joe Burrow. So there's obviously a difference in the game, whether or not Joe Burrow, you know, or Patrick Mahomes, rather. If Patrick Holmes isn't healthy, that's the big difference in that game. But in that Jacksonville game last week, I mean, Jacksonville did keep it close. It was 20-17 to after Trevor uh, Travis Etienne touchdown run with 11 minutes to go. Chiefs still pulled away, scoring the last... Seven points out of the game, uh, or seven of the last ten points in the game. Uh, Jacksonville did get a field goal just at the end to try to attempt with a, uh onside kick. But at the end of the game, still win that game 27-20 with Patrick Holmes being hurt. And Jacksonville, that's a tough team to beat, even though considering they were to rebuild just like the Giants, that's still a tough team to beat. And Kansas City did it without Patrick Holmes being 100%, which is impressive. But it's obviously an, an injury, though, to pay attention to. Uh, Trevor Lawrence didn't have the best game, but... Uh, considering, you know, how good a year he had, I, I still have all the confidence in the world in him. 217 passing, a touchdown to pick in that game with three carries of 26 uh, rushing yards. But he didn't look that bad. I mean, they had, some, they had some, a couple drops. His stats were not a lead in that game, and Tim just pointed out Trevor looked good. He looked good all season. He, he didn't look that bad in that game against Kansas City. It's just, at the end of the day, you know, it comes down to the talent, and he did a couple drops by his receivers, and it's also, you know, playing at Kansas City, it's not a tough place to play. Uh, that's obviously an adjustment, but he didn't play that bad. Trevor Lawrence didn't have a bad game. His stats weren't as elite as they usually are, but he did get to this point, which is obviously an accomplishment. You would agree there, right?
1: Absolutely. And, uh, one thing we should mention is, uh, Kansas City's head coach, Andy Reed. He's one of the best offensive coaches, you know, in the last 20 or 30 years. So he's, he's going to find a way to move the ball. If Mahomes is limited somehow with the scrambling ability, um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, you know I wouldn't forget Andy Reid. I know Cincinnati's coach is a good coach too, but Andy Reid's been doing it a real long time.
0: Yeah, no, he's a great coach. Zach Taylor's a great coach too, so that's obviously gonna be a great matchup. One last game I want to mention. Speaking of injuries there's an injury to uh, Christian McCaffrey. He was on the injury report the last few days for the Niners. The Niners obviously are playing a big game this weekend. They just beat the Cowboys on Sunday. It was Sunday night, right? Uh, 6.30. They beat them 19-12. Uh, to 12. So a big win for them over the Cowboys. Now they find themselves in the NFC Championship game versus the Eagles. Who do you like in that game? Obviously, we're probably both going to root against the Eagles here. So I'm going to imagine we're both going to go with the Niners. But the Niners only beat the Cowboys 19-12. to 12. And it was also... Still a, a seven point game in the fourth quarter. I mean, it's nineteen to twelve after uh, a twenty eight yard field goal uh, by Robbie Gold. Uh, with three minutes on the fourth quarter, it's really sixteen to twelve for most of that fourth quarter. So, who would you go with in this game? Obviously, it's going to be a big showdown. But who would you roll with in this game?
1: If I was a betting man, I think the Eagles are playing with so much confidence right now at home. They're hungry. They're nasty. I think, again, they have the most balance of any team in the NFL, them in Cincinnati. So um, I think the Eagles will win, but I'm with you. I'll be rooting for San Francisco. But I I don't know how Philly can be stopped. Like I said, uh, Hurts, they're confident on both sides of the ball. The coach is arrogant. He's going to want to go for the throat right away. They're not going to take their foot off the gas pedal. What I saw in San Francisco last week, I mean, they played a good game. McCaffrey wasn't... He wasn't that big of a weapon, and if he's banged up a little, you know, I I think Brock Purdy's going to struggle against, you know, the crowd and Philadelphia's defense. They almost broke the sack total this year, so I I, I think Purdy's going to have that in the back of his mind.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you there. Yeah, McCaffrey wasn't that big of a factor last week. 10 carries, 35 yards, and a rushing touchdown. Had six catches of 22 yards. He's usually six catches for 50 or 60 yards. He's usually a little bit more involved in the pass game, but the Cowboys' defense went pretty well in limiting. Those weapons. Besides George Kittle, George Kittle did a five catch of ninety five yards. But Debo Samuel four rushes for eleven yards, four catches to forty five yards on seven targets. Uh, Brandon Ayuk two catches for twenty six yards. So they played pretty good defense that Cowboys defense against that Niners team. And Brock Purdy didn't have his best game of the season. I mean, they have been winning with them, and they're twelve and zero, I believe, since the Christian McCaffrey trade. And Brock Purdy hasn't lost yet as a starter, but Brock Purdy hasn't really been in a high. S- Pressured situation besides this past weekend. Obviously, they you know, eke out a win over the Cowboys. But he didn't have the best game. two fourteen passing, no touchdowns, no picks. Uh, if you look at it, obviously, an 87.4 quarterback rating isn't that bad. But to beat the Eagles, you're going to have to score touchdowns. You're not going to be able to beat a, a team like the Eagles by only scoring one touchdown in your offense and having it be a two-yard rushing touchdown by McCaffrey. They, each team scored a touchdown in that game. One touchdown for the Cowboys in the Niners. You're going to have to score three or four touchdowns to beat the Eagles. You're going to have to. Even though the niners defense is great... You're going to probably have to score within three touchdowns, maybe a couple of field goals, and score around 30 points to beat the Eagles. And that defense is great, right? So if the Niners want to win, they probably have to win a game like 30 to 27. I don't want to root for the Eagles, but I think the Eagles are the better team right now. I actually had the Giants at this point losing to the Niners in my bracket since I had the Giants beating the Eagles. But I think the Eagles are rolling right now, and if I had to bet, I would go with the Eagles. But I'm going to root for the Niners because who wants to root for the Eagles?
1: I'm with you right there. I think Dallas... Once Tony Pollard went down with the broken leg, what was that? I think it was in the second quarter that happened.
0: Yep, went down, broke his broke broke a bone in his leg, right?
1: Oh, so, I mean, after that, they Dallas couldn't run the ball. Um, and you're right; I don't think Frisco can score 30 points in Philadelphia against that defense. I mean they they rushed the passer well. They got all pro cornerbacks and Slay and Brad Bradbury. Um, they seem to tackle real well. So I I think it's Philly. Um, but, again, I'll be rooting for San Francisco. I'm
0: with you there. I'm going to root for San Francisco, but I think Philly probably wins that game as well. Although I'll probably do last-minute predictions before all these games on Sunday because if you look at it, you don't know what Patrick Mahomes' situation is. So once we know what Patrick Mahomes' deal is, that's when you can actually make you know legitimate you know predictions. But as of now, I'd probably go... The Niners losing a very close game, like 30-24 to 24 probably. I'm going to roll with the Eagles winning that. Let's say 31-24, having them win by a touchdown. And then that other game, I'm going to go with the Bengals beating the Kansas City Chiefs 38-31. 30, That's my prediction, 38-34. What do you got in that other game, though, for uh point total? You don't have to give a score, but you could say Chiefs by two, three, four. What do you What do you think?
1: I'll give you a score. I, I feel pretty confident um, with, first of all, with Philadelphia. I think they're going to win comfortably. I think they're going to win probably like 27-17. to 17. Okay. Um, Cincinnati. That's real tough. I'm going to hope Mahomes can find a way to get it done. Um, I think they're going to have to score some points because Cincinnati scored 27 in Buffalo in the snow. Um, So I'm going to be looking at like a 31-30 Kansas City.
0: Okay, I'm with you there. I like that. And one last thing before I let you go, I want to mention Patriots today bringing back Bill O'Brien as their offensive coordinator. One thing, obviously, is Patriots team has a lot of holes. And I think Bill O'Brien offensive coordinator is better than Matt Patricia, better than Joe Judge, obviously, but you would agree, I know we talked about this already off-air, you know, early today when I gave you a call. You would agree, the Patriots have more holes than just offensive coordinator. Obviously, it's a big upgrade than what they had. But they still got to go get another wide receiver, or wide receiver one, still have to fix up that offensive line a little. Who knows what's going on between Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi, that has to be figured out. I think Bill O'Brien's obviously a positive for this offensive system for the Patriots, but I don't think it solves all the issues. You would agree?
1: I agree 100%. The Patriot offense... They had some of the worst numbers in, 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 in the NFL this year, like like the most three and outs. Um, I can't remember the other ones, but I agree. They they definitely need an upgrade, a wide receiver, offensive line. The running backs were hurt a lot this year, so they probably got to get some depth there. I like Mac Jones, but you, you, you better hope he gets along with uh, Billy O'Brien because um, he certainly can go in the tank with his head sometimes. He let the crowd get to him a few times, Mac Jones, so... Um, I think it's a big upgrade at coordinator, but um, as far as the results, you know, that's it, it's unknown right now.
0: Bill O'Brien was already with the Patriots before. Obviously, they, he was there in two thousand seven to two thousand eleven with Tom Brady. Had the Patriots averaging thirty point seven points per game, and also second in yards per game at three hundred ninety three. 0.1 yards per game. So they had an obviously impressive offense when Bill O'Brien was there. They obviously had a lot more weapons than they had before. Having Tom Brady at quarterback and then also having the receiving core that the Patriots had in that time frame is obviously a big difference to what the Patriots have right now, right? And that, that's one thing that we could agree upon. But the Patriots last year, obviously with Joe Judge, Matt Patricia, and Patricia being the most, you know, primary play caller, right? He called most of the plays there. He really just couldn't really get anything done for that Patriots team. And even though, as I said, they're Still lacking some talent and lacking some depth there. All in all, the Patriots finished 26th in yards per game, 25th in points per possession, and 27th uh, as well, uh, I believe, in... This is a a stat here from CBS Sports here. It just said 27th in yards per game, but they were already 26th, as I just said. But anyways... Point being is, though, the Patriots, you know, regressed this year with Mac Jones, obviously, in their offense. They went last year to the playoffs this year and are missing the playoffs by a game. And Mac Jones had 14 touchdowns to 11 picks. Uh, So obviously, he went downhill this year. But Bill O'Brien obviously makes a difference, but you still think, and you would agree with me there, that they still have some moves to make in the offseason with maybe a little bit more help in the offensive line. Maybe giving Mac Jones some confidence, like Daniel Jones got from Brian Dable this year, like. Mike McDaniel brought to two attack of lower this year, right? You need a head coach or a play caller that believes in you. Who knows if Bill Belichick believes in Mac Jones? We'll see that in the offseason and what he chooses to do going into next season. But you need a play caller that believes in you, right? And that's and that's the thing with Mike Kafka, the Giants offensive coordinator. He believed in Daniel Jones' running a and that's why Daniel Jones ran the ball as much as he did.
1: Absolutely. It worked out real well. I, I'm sure that Kafka had a lot of design runs for Jones. You could see them. Those naked bootlegs, he would take the snap and go around the end. You know, uh, he did that several times during the year.
0: Definitely. So Bill O'Brien coming from Alabama was their offensive coordinator for the last two seasons, averaging 40.8 points per game, which is impressive. Uh, in this past season, he was the primary play caller at Alabama. Averaged 39.9 points per game at 488.3 yards per game, which were both top 10 statistics in the country. So obviously Alabama has a lot of talent, but considering the Patriots have a lot of needs, He's at least an upgrade than what they had already. So that's definitely an addition to the Patriots' offensive system that you'd want. And we'll see what the Patriots choose to do with their playbook. Maybe they get a new playbook. But you don't want three years, three different playbooks of Mac Jones. Especially if you roll with Mac Jones, you want to keep giving him a new playbook.
1: No, look what it did for Daniel Jones. He had a different offensive coordinator. Like, you know, three or four times in his career already. So, a constant, you know, to make it work better.
0: Definitely. So, anyways, Paul, thank you so much for coming on. I'll let you go. But thank you so much. Always a pleasure having you come on and talk football. Have you on maybe next week uh, and recap what happened in that Bengals-Chiefs game and then also the Niners-Eagles game. And maybe talk some baseball, which I'm going to do tonight. But have you come on maybe next week and uh, give some more off-season baseball talk.
1: All right, Joe. It was a pleasure, and we'll be listening.
0: Thank you, Paul. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a good night. There you guys have it. That was Paul from Southie. Always a pleasure having him come on. One of the best in the business coming on talking sports is as always, just like the sports guru. He can come on and talk all things sports. You just give him a topic and he can just roll with it. So it's always great having him come on and talk sports. So thank you, Paul. Now I'm gonna talk to baseball, and I haven't really done an update of baseball in the last month, just about. So there's a lot of things I'm gonna run through here of. Deals across the MLB, what's going on. I'm going to start off with the Red Sox, since that's more what people would want to hear, and then also talk about some other deals across the MLB. Uh, for the Red Sox, they've been making moves, actually, the last few days. Uh, just today, designating for assignment Matt, Matt Bonds, a reliever that the Red Sox signed to a deal a few years ago, gave him an extension at the All-Star break in 2021, and just ever since he got that new deal, completely went downhill. Completely went downhill. And if you look at Bonds, he got the two years, eighteen. $0.75 million in the offseason, or in July of 2021, excuse me, it was a two-year addition to you know the, the deal we already had, so the Red Sox keep him for an extra couple of years through 2024, or was a club option through 2024, so the Red Sox had the rights to them through 2024 if they wanted to keep him, but now they end up designating him for assignment today, and a decision has to be made in the Red Sox of whether or not they trade him or, or let him pass their waivers since... He's making $7.5 million this year in salary and also has a $2.25 million buyout with an $8 million club option for next year. So the Red Sox have an option to figure out what they want to do and what avenue to go across. But Matt Bonds being gone isn't the worst thing for the Red Sox considering they just struggled heavily. Ever since that new contract, he really just could never find his footing. And one thing for a reliever in baseball or in, in, whether it's high school and, or college or in, in the MLB, minor leagues, whatever it may be, you never want to lose your confidence. Because once you lose your confidence, it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. Once you lose your confidence in your off-speed pitches or your fastball, you're limited. And that's what happened to Matt Bynes. You just never had confidence after you got that big deal. Had a 6.11 ERA in the rest of 2021 after he got that new deal. And then in 2022, had a 7.94 ERA through the end of May. And then ended up being hurt. And then in August... Actually played well after that. He actually played well after that. Excuse me for a second. I was just coughing for a second. But he actually played well after that. One five nine ERA after coming back in August. But had a four three one ERA overall on the year last year and just regressed heavily, especially control wise. I mean, he was one of the Red Sox better relievers, especially in twenty twenty one. Was great in the first half. Then in the second half, just fell apart and was just walking guys at an incredible rate. Especially one you don't want is out of your uh, out of clothes, or you know, in the Red Sox situation. I mean, they were one of the top last year in blown saves in the MLB. So obviously, not the worst loss the Red Sox. Considering he's still making money going into this year, and he's still on the payroll. Not the best contract there for High and Bloom, but that was a contract at the time, two years, eighteen million and change. That was a good deal. It was a good deal at the time. I mean, I don't know how High and Bloom could have calculated that. Matt Bonds would have lost his confidence that much. And sometimes that's, that's how it goes, right? A guy gets a new deal and just falls apart. That's part of the game. A lot of guys get new deals and they just regress. We'll see how it works out for Matt Bonds. He's going to probably end up somewhere else. Another team will probably take a swing on him. You'd have to imagine. But anyways, the Red Sox also made some other moves. Rafael Devers has got a new contract a few weeks ago now. 11 years, $331 million. He's only 26 years old, so now this will keep him in a Red Sox uniform through the age of, of, of 37 years old, he'll be 37 uh, in 2037, it is. Uh, unlike Xander Bogats or no, he'll be 37 years old by the time his contract ends. Excuse me there, I apologize. 37 years old by the time his contract ends. It's an 11-year deal. He's 26 right now. He'll be our Boston Red Sox. Uh, so for 11 more seasons, that's impressive on its own. The Red Sox being able to keep him is obviously a positive, but... I mean, the Red Sox thought they should be given a trophy for being able to keep him, but that's something everyone should do. You should be able to keep Rafael Devin. That's just something every team should do, is keep your star in homegrown town. That's what the Red Sox haven't done. I've talked about it before. Mookie Betts obviously was a big loss. Letting Mookie Betts go obviously was one of the worst things the Red Sox could have done, especially with the return the Red Sox got. It was not near the return that Mookie Betts should get. Mookie Betts was traded for Downs who was obviously designated for assignment this offseason. That's another thing I'm going to talk about at some point in this episode. I'm giving my full Red Sox breakdown. I'm going to give a lot of Red Sox news uh, in the next 20 minutes. But you get Cheetah Downs in that deal. He ends up getting designated for assignment this offseason. You got Carter Wong in that deal, a backup catcher for the Red Sox. That'll probably be in the AAA, maybe the Red Sox backup catcher on the roster this year in the MLB behind Reese McGuire. And then you also get Alex Verdugo. And Verdugo was a great deal in that move. I mean, Verdugo was the only piece that the Red Sox really got in that deal that You would say it was a positive, but I love Verdugo. But you probably could have got a lot more from Wookiee Betts considering Juan Soto was traded for as many prospects as he was from the Padres and the Nationals. The Nationals getting a lot in return for him. The Red Sox should have got more in return from Wookiee Betts. But the Red Sox keep Rafael Devis here. This contract will keep him in a Red Sox uniform through 2033. He'll be 37 years old by the contract contract, uh, being fully up. He had a one-year $17.5 million uh, arbitration deal he agreed upon a few days before this deal went through, and then gets an 11-year deal, uh, $331 million total overall, and this will keep him in a Red Sox uniform, as I said, through the age 37 season through 2033. So the Red Sox keep him in a Red Sox uniform for a while. That's one positive, but the Red Sox having a post, you know, press conference for it to talk about how great it is and, you know, to pat themselves on the back, I don't really agree with that. Neither did Felger and Maz. Uh, they were both saying they thought it was a little bit too much. Considering you should keep your homegrown talents up. It should be something we should be saluting you for. You should do it anyways. But obviously considering there was a lot going into this offseason about whether or not the Red Sox would keep both those guys. And I was... and being, that I was questioning the Red Sox and their intent and their motives. I didn't think Bogots and Devis would be back. You end up getting one of the two. Obviously Bogots ends up moving on, getting that deal in San Francisco... in San Diego. That will keep him in San Diego in a Padres uniform... Till he's forty years old. He will be a San Diego Padre through twenty thirty-three. Twenty thirty-three. So Bogots will be there a long time, and he got eleven years, two hundred and eighty million, and he'll be a Padre for a long time. He'll be a Padre till he's forty years old. So the Red Sox weren't gonna give him that money, eleven years, two hundred and eighty million. But Mookie Betts getting twelve years, three hundred and sixty five, and that keeps him in a Dodge uniform through the age of thirty nine, through twenty thirty two. The Red Sox could have got that deal done. They chose not to do it. And Mookie and Xander aren't the only two guys that the Red Sox chose to miss out on over the past few years. Some other guys that come to mind, Andrew Benintendi, the Red Sox ended up trading to Kansas City. That was a bad trade at the end of the day, considering Franchi Codero didn't even last for the Red Sox. He was another guy that was moved on from this offseason. And then also, which he ended up going to the Baltimore Orioles, I believe, in a one-year deal. And then also John Lester as well. But the Red Sox finally keep a top piece of a homegrown prospect, homegrown talent in Rafael Devis, which is a great move considering... The Red Sox need to keep him. But at one point, the Red Sox were were $100 million off. Devis and the Red Sox were $100 million off at one point of whether or not he was going to get $200 million or $300 million. And they ended up coming to a consensus and giving him $331 million. But obviously it took some time for the Red Sox to get that done. Devis, coming off a season where he hit 27 home runs, did not play the whole season. He did battle some injuries throughout then. Uh, Hit 295 on the year with 27 home runs. He's a career 283 hitter with 139 home runs across six seasons. And one impressive thing for Devis, and this comes from an MLB network graphic, for batters with a minimum of 1,250 plate appearances since 2019, Rafael Devis ranks third in the MLB in hits with 591, first in extra base hits with 264, tied for ninth in home runs with 108, third in RBIs with 359, eighth in slugging percentage with a 532 slugging percentage, and his second in total bases with 1,078, 1,078 total bases since 2019. So he's third in hits, first in extra base hits, tied for ninth in home runs, third in RBIs, eighth in slugging, and second in total bases for batter since 2019 with a minimum of 1,250 plate appearances. So Devis obviously is a top talent. And I made this point about a month or two ago now, probably about a month ago, I had all my friends here in the studio. Liam Kenny, Mark Walsh, Paul Gerard, Jacob Curley, and uh, Dan Barrens as well. All of them here in the studio. Ryan Hosey as well. All of them in the studio talking. I said, I think the difference between Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devis, and Mookie Betts is... I think Mookie Betts is the best player of them. I think Mookie Betts is the top seven player in the MLB. I think I put Devis around top 20, 25. And I had Xander Bogarts around 30 to 35. But... I wish the Red Sox kept Mookie at the end of the day. I wish they kept Mookie and Devis, but I'm happy keeping Devis considering how great a player he is. And as I just said, he's top of the MLB in a lot of statistical categories since 2019. At one point, the Mets and the Phillies were interested in trading for Devis, and I thought that was an avenue the Red Sox could explore. And I thought once he hit free agency, the Red Sox would not be outbidding teams like the Yankees, like the Phillies, like the Dodgers. So the best road for Red Sox is keeping Devis in a uniform for the Red Sox, keeping him in a Red Sox uniform, was to sign him now in this offseason, and they end up getting that deal done. So now for more Red Sox news. The Red Sox will be, with, will be without Trevor Story for at least four to six months, it looks like, after going uh, undergoing a procedure on his UCL of his throwing arm um, in the offseason, uh, he would be without, you know, the Red Sox will be without Trevor Story for four to six months now. And the Red Sox plan going into this offseason was Trevor Story would be taking the place of Xander Bogarts or a plays game at shortstop. Now the Red Sox don't have that. You don't have Trevor Story for four to six months and even though Trevor Story did say at the Red Sox uh, fan weekend this past weekend that he expects to play at some point in 2023, I'm, I'm not going to say it's a guarantee. It's just like Chris Sale. You never know what you're going to get out of these guys. You never know what you're going to get out of Trevor Story out of Chris Sale and that's the reality of the situation. You don't know what you're going to get out of Trevor Story and with that undergone procedure on his throwing arm, you don't know how his arm's going to come back. I mean, his arm wasn't great already. His arm was in trouble before the Red Sox even signed him in, 20, uh, in 2021. When the Red Sox signed him after the 2021 season, they signed him in the 2022 offseason, going into 2022, the Red Sox gave him six years, 140 million. His arm strength was already an issue. In 2020, he was 40th in was in, in a 40th percentile at shortstop, in arm strength at 82.3 miles per hour per per throw across the diamond. He was the 19th in the 19th percentile in 2021, his last year in Colorado, throwing 79.1 miles per hour as his arm strength. So it went down from 82.3 miles per hour in 2020, the 40th percentile, to 79.1 miles per hour in 2021, the 19th percentile, and then in 2022 for the Boston Red Sox, he was down at the 8th percentile in 2022, at 76.1 miles per hour in arm strength. So he went from 82.3 to 79.1 to 76.1. So he went down heavily across all three of the last three seasons, and the Red Sox had to have known that his arm strength was a problem. When you're signing a guy to six years, $140 you have to know everything about him. And that's why medical evaluations are a big deal. And that's one guy I'm going to talk about in a second is Carlos Correa and why he didn't get the two deals he was originally offered by the San Francisco Giants and the New York Mets. Because the medical situation comes into play when you're giving guy, a guy a long-term contract. And although Travis Rodney didn't get 10 years, he's still getting six years, 140. And that was the biggest contract at one point, besides Rafael Devis, was the second most money in a single deal that High and was given out over the last three seasons as a Red Sox president of baseball operations, as the chief baseball officer for the Red Sox. So six years, 140 is what he gets. And year one, obviously struggled with injuries. Now year two, he'll be without... You know, he won't even be in the lineup. The Red Sox will be without him for most of this season, I'd imagine. And one guy I think the Red Sox should go after is free agent shortstop Jose Iglesias. He had two stints with the Red Sox. At one point was a top prospect in the Red Sox farm system. Was traded to Detroit for Jake Peavy in 2013. Came back to the Red Sox in 2021. Had a 356 batting average for the Red Sox in 23 games. and 915 OPS with seven RBIs. This past year was signed by the Colorado Rockies. A one year deal hit 292 in 117 games with a 708 OPS, three home runs, 47 RBIs, and 30 doubles. Has a good glove still, and still can get on base as well. I think the Red Sox should look into bringing him in. Oh, they did just trade. Reliever we'll Josh Taylor to the Kansas City Royals at Alberto Mondesi a shortstop from the Kansas City Royals. But at the end of the day, I don't think that should stop the Red Sox from trying to get Iglesias back in a Red Sox uniform. The Sox infield could use all the help it could get. Obviously, today with the Red Sox getting Mondesi from the Kansas City Royals, they realize they need that help in that infield. Mondesi was acquired from Royals today in exchange for Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor was a reliever for the Red Sox. Mondesi is a 27-year-old infielder. Was a pretty good infielder for that Royals team. Did suffer some injuries. He only Played in 40% of games for the Royals since the 2018 season. He had a ton of injuries, and that's why I think getting a guy like Jose Iglesias would be beneficial for the Red Sox. Montes, has missed time with the right shoulder impingement, a groin strain. Also had a torn ACL that he missed the whole 2022 season with, a left hamstring strain. Uh, he also had, as I said, which I just wanted to go back and record and make sure I, met, I didn't mess that up again, a left shoulder subluxation, which kept him out for some time as well. So he missed, 40% of, he missed 60% of games for the Royals since 2018. So he's obviously been an injury-plagued player. When he does play, though, in 1,366 Major League plate appearances, 38 home runs. This is according to MLBTradeRumors.com. 38 home runs, 54 doubles, 20 triples, and 133 stolen bases. He does add speed across the diamond, 133 stolen bases since 2018. It's pretty impressive. Uh, and that's one thing the Red Sox obviously need help with. They don't really have much speed. But in 2022, only had a 140 batting average. And only played 54 plate appearances. He's a career 244 hitter with a 408 uh, slugging percentage. So doesn't really have the best. I apologize. For that. I just want to make sure I get that right since the article here I was looking at didn't have everything fully there. So I want to make sure I get things right. But Mondesi obviously has missed some time. That's one thing the Red Sox have to figure out is probably getting out of backup at shortstop. And considering the Red Sox don't really have much help in that infield. And Mondesi is a career 280 on base percentage, 408, slugging percentage, as I said, 687 OPS on, the, on his career with a two forty four batting average since 2016 with the Royals. Over his career, 38 home runs, 157 RBIs, but does steal bases. Does steal bases at 24 in 2020, 43 in 2019, and 32 in 2018. Didn't end up tearing his ACL, though, in 2022, so you got to obviously question whether or not he will be stealing bases for the Red Sox like he did for Kansas City. So Red Sox get modesty. That's not a bad move. End up giving Josh Taylor in return, giving him to the Kansas City Royals. Left-handed reliever for the Red Sox. They did have some, some, some success, but obviously wasn't consistent for the Red Sox and isn't really the biggest piece to lose. Uh, but the Red Sox have to figure things out there, and that's why I think Jose Iglesias would be a good move for the Red Sox to go and get. As for Red Sox players that have been on the move, I'm going to start off with Nate Evaldi. Ends up signing a two-year $34 million deal with the Texas Rangers. Battled injuries in the second half of last season. Had a 6-3 record overall, 387 ERA and 20 starts with 103 strikeouts over 109 in the third innings pitched. Was an All-Star in 2021. Was a Red Sox number one pitcher over the last few seasons, with Chris Sale being out for a lot of the last two or three seasons now. The Red Sox needed an ace, and Native Aldi was that ace for the Red Sox at the top of the rotation. He had a 26-18 record in five seasons for the Boston Red Sox, a 405 ERA with 468 strikeouts in 461 and two-thirds innings pitched. He won the World Series for the Red Sox in 2018, had a heroic performance in Game 3 of the World Series versus the Dodgers in 2018, going six innings in relief with five strikeouts, only giving up one earned run. The Sox ended up losing that game three to two in 18 innings, but he saved the bullpen. And in the stat sheet, obviously the Red Sox didn't win that game, but going six innings in relief and saving the bullpen for the rest of the series was huge. Was huge. And the Red Sox didn't lose that game three to two in 18 innings, they still had a chance, he saved the bullpen for the rest of the series and even gave the Red Sox a chance to win that game in Game 3. The Red Sox still ended up winning the World Series, so you can't really dwell upon it in the past, but such a great performance, heroic performance out of the bullpen from him in 2018. As for the Rangers, they will be forfeiting a third-round pick as a result of the move, since Ivaldi did decline his qualifying offer from the Red Sox. The Rangers also lost their second rounder with the DeGrom sign. They signed Jacob DeGrom in the offseason. Now the rotation is Jacob DeGrom, Nate Ivaldi, Martín Perez. So Perez and Ivaldi, both former Red Sox players. John Gray, Andrew Heaney, who signed a one-year deal last year with the Dodgers. Had a career year for the Dodgers, a 3.1 ERA, which is a career best, a 4-4 four four record, with a 1.09 whip, was also a career best. So a career best in ERA and whip last year for the Dodgers. And now gets a deal from the Texas Rangers to be in that rotation. They also traded with Jake Odorizzi, right-handed pitcher, had a 6-6 six and six record, with a 4.4 ERA across a season for the Atlanta Braves and the Houston Astros. So they have a much better rotation this year, going into this year, than they did last year as for the Rangers. And they also have Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker, who will be coming up in the next few years. Both of them have been top three picks in the last two MLB drafts. Jack Leiter was the first overall pick in 2021, and then Kumar Rocker was the third overall pick in 2022. Both those guys are top three picks in the last two drafts. And we'll make it up to the MLB at some point in the next few years. later, was struggling in the minor leagues uh, in A, uh, But I still have confidence in him. I mean, it's tough to go from pitching in college. And he was a stud at Vanderbilt. And so was Rocker as well. Rocker ended up playing independent ball uh, this past year before being drafted by the Texas Rangers. The third overall. Since he filled his physical with the Mets and then ended up not signing him in the 2021 draft. and He was selected at the ninth or 10th overall position. The Mets ended up getting that pick back uh, this past year. But... I had some concerns going into this year, and that's the reason he ends up going back into the draft and still is a top three pick. And that's why I think this rotation for the Mets going down the line, at some point, they'll have those guys back. I think Evaldi, two years down the line, 34 million. Who knows if he'll still be there by the time Lighty gets up. Probably, I think, by Evaldi's second season with the Rangers, so not this season, but next, I think Lighty will be up and maybe Rocker as well. Uh, both those guys, were two of the best pitchers in college baseball. So the Rangers are building in the future. And I'm going to switch back to the Red Sox here. I just talked about uh, the Red Sox losing involved. Yeah, I'm going to switch back to the Red Sox rotation. Chris Hill had some trade rumors going around about him. I thought the Red Sox could potentially move him. He's only played 11 games in the past three seasons across 2020, 2021, and 2022. He had a five-year $145 million deal in 2019, getting $27.5 million a year in salary. Uh, in, the last, in the next two seasons, 2023 and 2024, he'll be getting $27.5 million. And... One thing about Sale is he's just not staying healthy. And that's why his contract's not worth it. Chris Sale just cannot stay on the field. Cannot stay on the field. And that's why a big reason that I think the Red Sox should trade him is if another team wants to take on $27.5 million in 2023 and 2024, you might as well at least entertain it and let him go. He's only played 11 games in the last three seasons. 11 games. A 5-2 record over the last three seasons. 57 strikeouts and 48 to third innings pitched with a 3.17 ERA across those three seasons. One thing about sales, you never know what you're going to get from him. You never know what you're going to get out of Chris Sale. And that's why I think you might as well move him. If someone would take on half of that money and the Red Sox still pay the other half, I think it's worth it. And a lot of Chris Sale's money is deferred. The Red Sox are going to pay him up until, I believe, 2037. Let me see if I can get Chris Sale's contract up here just so I can be 100% right. But the Red Sox are going to be paying Chris Sale heavily through 2037, through the mid-2030s. He'll be paid... $50 $50 million at $10 million, $10 million per year from 2035 to 2039. So he'll be getting paid $10 million in 2035, 2036, 2037, 2038, and in 2039. So he's still making money. He's still making money even when he's not on the Red Sox. The Red Sox will still have to pay that $50 million deferred without question. The Red Sox aren't going to get away with not paying that money. They're definitely going to have to pay that money. No option for the Red Sox but to pay that money considering no team's going to pick up $50 million over a five-year period from 2035 to 2039. So if the Red Sox can at least pay him, trade him in his salary, his adjusted salary going into this year, is $17.5 million. $17.5 million in 2023, $17.5 million in 2024. His payroll salary is $27.5 million in 2023 and 2024. But with that, a lot of that being deferred, he's going to get his money, a lot of it being backloaded in the 2030s. As I said, 2035 to 2039. But if you get someone to pick up some of that $17.5 million going from this season to next season, I think it's worth it. You never know what you're going to get out of Chris Sale, and that's why I think moving him wouldn't be the worst move. As for Corey Kluber, the Red Sox end up signing him to their rotation right-handed pitcher who had a 10-10 record and a 4-3-4 ERA 31 starts last year for Tampa Bay. Former ace was a two-time Cy Young winner up in 2014-2017 in Cleveland, finished third in Cy Young, vote in 2016-2018 and 2018. So within four years, he won the Cy young twice, 2014, 2017, and then 2016 to 2018, finished third. So he's one of the best pitches in baseball from 2014 to 2018. 2014 to 2018 was one of the best pitches in baseball. And then you might question, what happened after that? Well, he battled injuries. 2019, 2020, 2021, making just 24 starts over those three seasons from 2019 to 2021. Only 24 starts, or so just about eight per year on average. Then in 2022, he found his health. 31 starts for Tampa Bay this past year, as I said, a 4.34 ERA. He'll probably be around the top of the Sox rotation. I'd imagine he'll probably be the one or two, depending on what Chris Sale's situation is. And hopefully, he finds his health. Being a, a quality starter for Tampa Bay last year, as I said, 31 starts, uh, getting you know 4.34 as an ERA out of him. That probably would be around the second or third best for the Red Sox going into this year on a starting pitching ERA with without knowing what Chris Sale is going to give you and Nick Pavetta being the only guy that's really coming back for the Red Sox from last year's rotation. Tan Hauk will be in the rotation. It seems like Garrett Whitlock as well, but both of them have spent time in the bullpen. The only real full-time starter from last season coming back is Nick Pavetta. And then they also did sign Corey Kluber as a free agent signing this offseason and also have made some other moves as well. Corey Kluber, James Paxton as well will be coming back for the Red Sox. He hasn't pitched at all in the last season last couple seasons after getting elbow surgery, we'll see what the Red Sox get out of him. But the Red Sox rotation, I think, will be better than most people expect. But I think one thing about that Red Sox team is their, is their offense. I don't think they're re- really going to be able to score runs. One piece of the Red Sox lost from the rotation this past year was Rich Hill leaving the Red Sox, getting a one-year, $8 million contract from the Pittsburgh Pirates. I'd imagine the Pirates giving a one-year, $8 million deal could just be a potential seller at the trade deadline, be a selling at the trade deadline, selling him, to a team and getting prospects back in return. A lot of the time, teams will give a guy a one-year deal and then try to move him at the trade deadline like the Cincinnati Reds do, giving a guy a one-year deal and then moving him in July, trying to get prospects back in return to build around. Ezra Chill, though, 42 years old, will be 43 at the start of this next season in 2023, so just a few months away. 8-7 and record for the Red Sox last year with a 4.27 ERA across 26 starts. Across those 26 starts, Had 109 strikeouts and 124.1 innings pitched. I was a huge fan of him on the Red Sox. Definitely sad to see him go. I think it's a disappointment. A lot of these Red Sox pitchers from this past year struggled with injuries, and even when they were pitching, weren't really playing their best baseball. But Rich Hill was really one of the only bright spots in that rotation for the Red Sox last year, giving you a 4-2-7 ERA. His last two games were two of the best games of the last season for him last year. And he played really well overall in the season. Definitely disappointed to see him go. I think he was the most consistent pitcher on the Red Sox, knowing what you are going to get out of him every night. He was going to come out and play and give you his all, no matter what the Red Sox record was, no matter if the Red Sox were out, and they weren't really playing for anything. Red Show was going to come on the mound and give you everything he had. And that's why I think it's disappointing seeing him go. It's tough to see him go. He's a hometown kid, grew up in Milton, went to Milton High. Really nice guy, the pleasure of meeting him this past year, this past semester, actually, in November, I met him in my uh, sports... Uh, digital media class with uh, Chris Cattell. He's a beat writer for MassLive.com about the Red Sox. Had the pleasure of meeting Rich Hill in that class, and Rich Hill was nothing but a pleasure, nothing short of a pleasure of meeting and talking to him. It's tough to see a guy like that go, and one of the better pitchers for the Red Sox this past year. I was huge fan of him, as I said, on the Sox, and definitely disappointed to see him not in the Red Sox uniform, but I'm wishing him nothing but the best. I will always be rooting for him, no matter if he's playing for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Chicago Cubs, Los Angeles Dodgers, Tampa Bay Rays, Boston Red Sox, New York Yankees. Even for a short stint, I will be rooting or the Cleveland Indians at the time. Now the Guardians. We played for the Indians at one point. I will be rooting for Rich Hill no matter what uniform he is wearing. So now I'm gonna give you Red Sox lineup and talk about what their lineup is looking like right now. Reese McGuire is the starting catcher. Tristan Casas, prospect for the Red Sox, the top 100 prospect on MLB.com. He'll be starting at first base. Christian Arroyo at second base. I guess Mondesi maybe at shortstop. Before today, it probably would have been Kike Hernandez at shortstop. Considering Mondesi's injuries, I think Kike Hernandez could still be the very well be the starting shortstop for the Red Sox. Rafael Davis at third base. Masataka Yoshida, an international signing for the Red Sox from J- Japan. He would be playing left field. Jaron Duran probably probably be splitting time in center field. I'd imagine Adam Duval will be getting some time out there in center field. The Red Sox had him just signing. Adam Duval just last week to a short deal. I believe it was $11 million a year. Duvall has played all three outfield positions, hit 12 home runs this past season for the Braves with a two thirteen batting average, had a pretty good season in 2021, 22 home runs for the Miami Marlins, had a two twenty nine batting average as well uh, for the Marlins, Uh, but if you look at it, was a gold glove winner in 2021, so he has a pretty good glove in the outfield, was signed to a one-year deal by the Red Sox, so not really much there. If the Red Sox wanted to move off from him in the offseason or, or, or the trade deadline, that is, and move him, they could do it. You would move him in the, in, in the July trade deadline pretty easily since it's only a one-year deal with short money. So we'll see if the Red Sox want to do that, but I think he'll probably be playing that center field position with Alex Verdugo playing right field. Justin Turner will be the DH. And Bobby Dahlbeck, Jaron Duran, Rob Reston or Connor Wong on the bench. As the Red Sox rotation, it'll probably be Chris Sale, 3.18 ERA with a 0 1 record this past year for the Red Sox and two starts with a 1.06 whip. Corey Kluber will be the two, I believe, with a 10 10 record, a 4.34 ERA, and a 1.21 whip this past year, pitching, as I said, for the Tampa Bay Rays. After that, Nick Pavetta, 10 12 record with a 4.56 ERA with a 1.38 whip for the Red Sox and 33 starts this past season. Garrett Whitlock will probably be that fourth starter, maybe even the three with a 4-2 record and a 3.45 ERA with a 1.02 whip in nine starts. And then James Paxton did not play at all this past season, probably that fifth starter, maybe 10 Hock as well, maybe the sixth starter in that rotation, depending on what the Red Sox want to do. Ten Hock, 5-4 record this past year with a 3.15 ERA with a 1.18 whip in four starts. And then some question marks for the Red Sox, Cutter Crawford, Brian Bayo. Brian Baio is a big prospect for the Red Sox. Top 100 prospects down on MLB.com, and then Josh Winkowski as well. Maybe Brian Bayo might have lost his uh, his eligibility to be a prospect, but he was still a top prospect for the MLB uh, in the top 100 prospects on MLB.com. We'll see what the Red Sox want to do with Crawford Bayo and Winkowski. I'd imagine all three of those guys maybe get some time out of the bullpen. Maybe they put Tan Hogue back in the bullpen and let Bayo go on the rotation. I mean, the Red Sox have some options, obviously, to figure out. Maybe Paxton even starts the year and only pitches. Three or four innings a night out of the pen or two innings out of the night out of middle of relief just to get him back to be equipped to pitching in MLB since he missed all this past season. There's question marks around Ryan Brazier and what the Red Sox will do with him. He hasn't been designated for assignment. The Red Sox did designate Matt Bonds for assignment. And one of the only quality pieces from last year's bullpen returning is John Schreiber back to the Red Sox bullpen for the season. Schreiber was an absolute beast last year. The best reliever for the Sox overall. So I had a guess right now. Cutter Crawford, Josh Winkowski, Brian Bayo, all in. In the, in the bullpen rotation rather than the starting rotation for the Red Sox with John Schreiber, Joely Rodriguez, free agent ad from the New York Mets. He'll be in the bullpen for the Red Sox. Chris Martin, free agent ad from the Los Angeles Dodgers. He'll be in the bullpen for the Red Sox as well. And then the Red Sox closer will be Ken Jansen, who got a $14 million contract uh, per year. I believe it was two years, $28 million for the Red Sox. He'll be playing for the Red Sox. He played last year for the Atlanta Braves. I'm going to get his stats up here really quick. But Jansen, not a bad player though. Forty one saves this past year for the Braves, thirty eight for the Dodgers in twenty twenty one. Had a one point oh five whip with a three three eight ERA this past year uh, for the uh, Atlanta Braves. So pretty good play. Ends up getting a two year deal for the from the Red Sox, thirty two million overall, sixteen million dollars per year. I said fourteen million at one point, but he gets sixteen million dollars per year. So. We'll see what the Sox do at Brazier. They obviously already moved on from Matt Bonds, and that could be the same situation for Brazil. And then also Josh Taylor being gone. It's another guy that could have been in that bullpen rotation. The Red Sox probably have Schreiber. I'd imagine Crawford, Bayo, Winkowski, Martin, Rodriguez, and Jansen. That'll probably be the Red Sox bullpen, I'd imagine. But we'll see what goes on. The Red Sox obviously have some things to figure out in the offseason uh, and obviously to go from there. The big question mark of whether or not the rotation's going to be with Chris Sale or not, if he's going to come back healthy. Is Trevor Story going to come back at any point in 2023? Is he going to come back and be the second baseman? Will he come back and be the shortstop? There's a lot of question marks for this Red Sox team and that's why I think if you look at the Red Sox in the in the American League East, I think the Red Sox have the fifth best roster in the American League East. I think the Twins, uh, not the Twins, excuse me. I believe the Blue Jays are better. I think the Toronto Blue Jays as I said, the Tampa Bay Rays are better. The New York Yankees have better. I think the Baltimore Orioles definitely have a better future than the Red Sox overall, considering they have six prospects in the top 100 in the MLB.com top 100 prospects. But they also don't spend any money. I think once the Orioles rip the bandit off and start spending money, they're going to be a really good team. Once the Orioles rip the bandit off and start spending money, I think they're going to be a really good team. Who knows if they're going to do that. They didn't do that this offseason. I thought they could have maybe got in the market and maybe spent on a guy like Carlos Rodon and maybe structured there rotation around a a free agent signing rather than just letting it be a lot of guys that they're bringing up out of their farm system, like John Means and a couple other pieces. But I think the Orioles have a better team than the Red Sox. They'll probably score more runs than the Red Sox. I don't think that Red Sox lineup is that great. Obviously, there's still a lot of time. The Red Sox don't really have their first game for a couple months now. So there's a lot of time to figure things out for that Red Sox team. And there's still you know three, three weeks or so until spring training starts. So there's a lot of things... In a lot of ways, the Red Sox can get from A to B in the next two months now to figure out what their lineup's going to be. But as of now, I think four of those teams in the AL East, besides the Red Sox, their four opponents in the AL East, all have better teams than the Red Sox. And the Red Sox struggled heavily in the AL East this past season. And I'm trying to get the Red Sox standings this past season, see what they did in the AL East. Because if, if I'm remembering right, I think the Red Sox lost three-fourths of their games in the division this past year, which is just abysmal. You never want that to happen. You never want to be losing three, 340 games against your own team, your own division. Let's see. Against the East of last year, the Boston Red Sox were 26-50 and 50 versus the American League East. 26-50 and 50 in the division. Finishing the year, obviously, 78-84, being six games out of 500, and obviously missing the playoffs as well. But the Red Sox finished the year 26-50 and 50 in the AL East. And then didn't get any better this offseason. Obviously, Kenny Jansen is an improvement. The Red Sox were top last year in blown saves. So that obviously makes the bullpen a little bit better. But you lose into Bogarts. You lose J.D. Martinez. And you also lose Rich Hill and some other pieces as well. Lose Trevor Story for four to six months. You lose a guy like Christian Vasquez in the trade deadline and then end up not being able to get him back. The Red Sox have Reese McGuire as a starting catcher. You have... rookie as you're starting first baseman, Tristan Casas. You have a question mark at second base now, probably being Christian Royo, considering you don't have Trevor Story playing shortstop, so that means Kike Hernandez probably could be in infield, maybe playing second base or shortstop. The Red Sox have a lot of pieces that have to be figured out, a lot of puzzle pieces that have to be obviously put into place, but being 26-50 and last year in the AL East and not getting really any better this offseason obviously isn't the best. I think the Red Sox pitching did get better though. I'll give them credit there. I think Paxton and Kluber, If you get both of those guys healthy, that's better than what the Red Sox probably had in their middle rotation this past year. And then also, if you add in a couple other pieces like Justin Turner, DH, it's probably an upgrade over J.D. Martinez. Power-wise, J.D. Martinez struggled last year. So Martinez and Turner will both be switching places, J.D. going to the Dodges, and then obviously Justin Turner coming to the Red Sox, both of them switching places from obviously the Dodges and the Red Sox, switching places in both those lineups. But we'll see what happens, obviously, for the Sox. And, and I'm going to give some more updates across the offseason. I was going to do more of an MLB update and talk more about some other things like Carlos Correa. And I was talk about what's going on uh, in the NL with the Diamondbacks signing uh, Evan Longoria to contract and the Padres signing Nelson Cruz and one Dale. But I'll probably do that in other podcast episodes since I want to keep this around an hour episode. Uh, I maybe could even do another episode tomorrow night. We'll see how things go. Uh, Maybe not, actually, because I think I have class 7 to 9, 30, so it'd actually be tough to do an episode tomorrow night. So I'll be back next Tuesday, 7 to 8 o'clock. Hopefully have some guests come on. Maybe I'll we'll have Matt come on. Matt, I had come on last year on my radio show as well. He came on to talk all things sports. I think we talked a lot of Celtics since it was around the Celtics playoff series against the Brooklyn Nets, first round of the NBA playoff series last year against the next the, the Nets. The Celtics ended up sweeping them. Matt was right about uh, not reading, in too much, reading into too much about the talent level and the big names on that Nets team, looking at overall teams. And obviously, the Celtics had a better overall team last year than the Nets had a more complete team. And obviously, the Nets now are playing really good basketball. So I'll give an update next week, hopefully, on the NFL games, maybe talk a little more baseball. I'll keep more of my baseball talk here and throw that into a podcast episode uh, since I want to keep more of it, this being a Red Sox episode than it being you know news across the MLB. So I'll do a news across the MLB podcast upload in the next few days. I just want to keep this as a Red Sox upload with obviously NFL games as well. Uh, so I'll be back on next Tuesday night from 7, 8 o'clock. The Red Sox uh, probably won't make any moves before then, so I'll, I'll probably still be able to talk. Red Sox, with Paul from South, maybe come on and give me his uh, predictions for the Red Sox this season. Obviously, there's a lot of ways to go uh, before the Red Sox start this season, but maybe he can come on and talk about what he's seen from the Red Sox in the offseason, talk about the moves they've made. Obviously, with Paxton coming back, the Red Sox signed to Davis for a long-term extension. As I said, that's a great move. Getting Davis back is huge for the Red Sox. I think keeping your homegrown talent is the main thing you have to do, but I think you should have done it with Mookie Betts as well. You should have done it with Mookie Betts as well. They want to get sidetracked there as well, but I think the Red Sox should have kept Mookie Betts. They should have kept Rafael Devis. And obviously, Xander Bogat's getting 11 years, 280 million dollars from the Padres. The Red Sox were, really weren't going to compete with that. You're not going to compete and give 280 million dollars. but understand that. And you also have Marcel Amaya coming up at some point, a top 10 prospect on MLB.com. He's a shortstop. Probably will be with up. It be within the Red Sox uh, lineup in the next year and a half. Probably will make it to the MLB by 2024, mid season maybe. And then Nick York, a mid-Atlanta field prospect, 2021st around pick for the Red Sox. Uh, second baseman probably will be within uh, the within the next year or two will be on the Red Sox roster. I'd imagine maybe same outline, same timeline as Marcel Amari, maybe two years from now. Both those guys will be cracking the Red Sox lineup. But we'll see, obviously, what happens there. But anyways, always a pleasure. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, going to give a few quick shout-outs. Shout out to Timmy Loftus and the Loftus family. Thank you guys always so much for listening. Timmy, probably the number one fan of the show. He's always giving so much feedback and giving me a lot of thoughts uh, and feedback on, on what I'm saying, giving me his predictions for games. I appreciate it, Timmy. You're the best, and I appreciate you always listening in. Thank you so much. Shout out to Auntie Lisa as well. Thank you for always listening. Shout out to the Key family. They always listen as well. Big fans of the show. Uh, it means a lot that you guys always listen in. Shout-out to my family as well, my siblings and, and my parents. Thank you guys always listening. Shout-out to the O'Malley family. Shout-out to Tommy O'Malley today. Me and Tommy had a great workout by the reservoir today. Had a, had a great workout in 30 minutes of, of a workout. Then even went to lunch today. Today was a great day, uh, and we had a great time. We had a great weekend. I got to see him. He, he came up from New York City, which was awesome, uh, and then ended up having uh, a great day today. Great workout. Even though it was cold out, and obviously had a battle, uh, some ice and stuff on the sidewalk, uh, and on some concrete uh, by the Cleveland Circle baseball fields, we got it done. Had a great day, and uh, shout out to Zaddy Earth. Tommy's the best at what he does. Check out his Instagram, uh, his Instagram page, Zaddy Earth, Z A D D Y Earth, E A R T H. Zaddy Earth, best at what he does. Always appreciate uh, Tommy listening in, and obviously appreciate his support always. Uh, with the radio show, he's one of the big reasons I started the podcast. Since he had his own podcast in the past, he gave me a lot of feedback uh, and things to point out, and I appreciate him always listening in. Uh, And shout out to his business, as I said, as well. Zaddy Earth, whether you need cosmetics, you need uh, moisturizers for your face, bad oil, uh, hand sanitizer, you need uh, any uh, air fresheners, anything along the way, uh, shoe fresheners for your gym bag, whatever it may be. Tommy is the best at what he does. Check out Zaddy Earth, as I said, Z-A-D-D-Y Earth, on Instagram. You also can check out his website. He does sell in New York City. Uh, at different uh, parks and stuff. Uh, has his own uh, table set up outside of some parks. Even had a, a table for the holiday festival uh, at Union Square Park in New York City uh, this past year um, in December. So he had a great run obviously there. But you can also buy things online as well. So you don't have to buy things physically in person. He has a website as well. So check out his products there on Zaddy Earth uh, as well. Let me maybe, maybe make sure I get the website down here. I want to make sure I get it down so I can say it right. ZaddyEarth.com Handmade in Brooklyn, all of his products, whatever you need, potpourri, you need hair oil, beard oil, massage oil, anything you need along the way, Uh, body spray, whatever it may be. As I said, you can get shoe deodorizers, you can get stuff for the bathroom, uh, you can get home stuff as well. Tommy's the best at what he does, uh, and I appreciate uh, all his support. So thank you, Tommy, for always listening in, and thank you to the O'Malley family as well. Check out Tommy's stuff, as I said, at ZeddyEarth.com. He's a lot of kits as well on there. He is hand sanitizers, body oils, I said, um, bath kits. I mean, everything along the way that you need uh, is the best of what he does. So uh, Epsom salts as well. Tommy does it all and he does it all on his own. Does it all his own, his own business, self-employed, uh, makes everything on his own, sells everything on his own, takes all the time, uh, effort and energy to get up every single day. Uh, and has a long day working. I mean, he works 12-hour shifts, I was just talking today uh, about that. He also took some time off this past weekend, which was nice. But he'll be back on the grind, I'm sure, tomorrow when he gets back to New York City to getting back to fully getting, you know, fully invested in uh, making all his products and everything. That's the great thing about Tommy. He's always working hard, even when things, you know, obviously are tough and you're working 25 days straight in the holiday festival uh, in New York City. Still gets up every day and still, you know, works those long shifts. So, Tommy, I admire you. Thank you so much for always taking the time to listen to this. Anyways, that will conclude this episode. Thank you, guys, as always, for taking the time to listen to this. It really does mean a lot to me. Uh, I wouldn't be able to do this without you guys. for so all your support and your feedback, including Timmy Loftus, the biggest fan of the show, I appreciate you always texting, uh, giving me your thoughts. It does mean a lot to me. I will be back next Tuesday night, 7 to 8 o'clock. That'll probably be my, my weekly segment now, I'd imagine, 7 to 8. I want to find a segment that would actually stay and be my weekly segment. I contemplated whether it be Monday nights or Tuesdays. I may even add another segment, maybe Monday nights, like a six to seven at some point if I have a lot to talk about. But as of now, I'm going to stay with seven to eight on Monday night, on Tuesday nights, excuse me. Tuesday nights, seven to eight on WZBC. I'll still be doing podcast uploads as well along the way. Hopefully, I have some guests as well in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I do have a lot of people I have to get uh, on here at some point. So hopefully, I have some people call in uh, to be pretty cool and have some people uh, come on in the sports world to talk uh, all things sports. So I'll keep you guys posted about that. I'll see you guys next Tuesday night, seven, eight o'clock. Hope you guys stay safe and well. Enjoy yourself. Stay warm as well. I know this past day, uh, yesterday, was obviously a big snowstorm on a lot of places in Massachusetts. So hope you guys are staying safe and staying warm. Uh, Thank you guys, as always, for listening. I appreciate it. I'll see you guys next Tuesday at 7 o'clock on WZBC AM Sports Radio. I appreciate it. Hope you guys have a great rest of your night. Enjoy the rest of your weeks, and I'll see you guys again soon. Thank you.